A toast to the hunters from your friends at Grain Belt. May the mornings be clear and the fresh air be crisp. May you find solace in the silence. May the stillness settle your soul. May your long shot stay true. May your heart roam free. May you find what you seek in the fields you stock. May your call to the wild be answered. And at the end of the day, may you share in the thrill of the hunt with your friends. So here's to the eight pointers and the 12 ounces. Here's to you and to your thirst for adventure. Bring Grain Belt to the outdoors with our limited edition premium hunting season pack. This season, enter to win a hunting trip for two to Brown's Hunting Lodge, wherever you can find premium 12 and 24 pack cans. For more information, visit our website at grainbelt.com forward slash hunting dash trip. Hello and welcome to the Reverend Hunter Podcast. This is Tony Jones. I'm the Reverend Hunter. Joined as always by the Eve to my Adam, Brandon. Wow, we're going biblical on this one. Brandon, we're, I was thinking about this. <laughs> I was thinking about this. We're going to do a whole string of biblical sidekicks. Oh, that's wonderful. I'll get a few okay? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll start looking them up. Doing my research. All your, uh, yeah, your, your childhood Sunday school you know, flannel graph of uh, education. We'll see. We'll That's see how exactly well small town church did. Well, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great. How about yourself? Good. Well, look, uh, listeners, listeners have been on the edges of their seats waiting for another Reverend Hunter episode. And boy, you and I just have had a string of bad luck. I mean, you uh, didn't you get COVID? And I then did, just a couple yeah, a week and a half, two weeks ago. Yeah, you got COVID. And then I had like two guests um, asked to reschedule. And then I left the country and then I came back with COVID. Um, I'm just getting over it now. You might be able to hear it in my voice. It's so yeah, we've been on a last few months here. We haven't been on our regular every other week schedule, but we'll get back on track. And I appreciate everybody's patience. Um, yeah, so I I went to Europe with Courtney. We celebrated uh, becoming empty nesters as my last kid headed off to college in August. Uh, we went there with my brother and his wife, and we had a great time. In spite of the bed bugs, you got bed uh, bugs. Yeah, dude. Have you seen the news like out of France about the bed bugs? Yeah, I've heard about it, but I didn't think you would come back with bed bugs. Oh my gosh. I'm going to text you a picture of my back. Oh no. <laughs> You're not going to believe it, dude. Okay. But here's, but here's glass half full, glass half full. Yeah. We got a full refund on our Airbnb. Oh, so th- I mean, it, here's, here's the, here's the calculus for me. And I got it. There were four of us staying at this Airbnb and I'd say like, Everybody else got maybe half a dozen bites, and I probably got, I don't know, thirty bites or something. So they they weren't they were like, yeah, it's not that bad. And they looked at my back and they're like, dude, do you want to move? And I looked around. There was like nowhere. There's not an empty room in all of Rome. So I'm like, well, what are we gonna do? And I, you know, email the host. He's like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna re- refund your money. I'm going to replace the mattress and the sheets and the pillows today, blah, blah, blah. So he did that and he did what he could. Um, But I was like, you know, if somebody said to me, we will, we will like give you a $1,400 
Airbnb in Rome for four days for free, but you have to have 30 bug bites. I think I'd take the bug bites. You, you know what? As long as I didn't have to see the bed bugs, I think I'm on your side. I mean, if you're not allergic to them, it's relatively harmless, harmless, I think. So it's like 30 mosquito bites. I mean, I I I don't know if they were bed bugs because we never actually saw them. All we saw is the evidence of the bites all over me, my back. And um yeah, so it was crazy. <laughs> and then on the way home, like on the flight home which, you know, is a long flight. You just, at that point, you just want to get home and it's just kind of brutal. It's like a nine hour flight and whatever. But then I'm like sneezing and coughing. I'm like, oh, I have a terrible head cold. I get home and I'm like, hmm, I wonder and took a test. And my first COVID, man, I got, I've, I've avoided it for whatever it's been four years. And I finally got it. You'll always remember your first time. <laughs> yeah so spent the day sunday like shivering and sweating uh just like under the covers watching football and baseball and then now i'm you know it was like it was kind of one one and a half two days of rough rough times but now i'm i'm back Good. good to go ready to get up to the cab and do some grouse hunting this coming weekend and and you're going to South Dakota, Sodak. I'm going to Sodak for uh, some sort of, I think it's a Pheasants Forever affiliated event. I'm not entirely sure, but we're doing okay. a live broadcast of The Flush. Do you know where, you don't even know the venue where you're doing it? Not yet. No. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll probably figure that out Thursday morning. I kind of I mean, I'm wondering, it could be like the Cabela's. It could be, I don't know. There's yeah. a few different kind I, of places where they rally the troops. Yeah, the, the, the word I think this coming weekend when you're going out is right on the eve of the resident pheasant opener. And then the weekend after that is non-resident pheasant opener, which in Minnesota we call MEA weekend. Um, I'm not, I, I don't go on opener anymore because it's such a zoo. We're going the following weekend, which is whatever the week, last weekend of October will be my first South Dakota weekend. But reports, early reports of pheasant numbers are very very promising. So I'm excited about that. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what I've been hearing across the board from from Is that right? experts. Yep. That, that well, I'm... you you're the one who listens to all those podcasts, and so they're saying good things, huh? Yeah, definitely positive things this year. Nothing but positive. So maybe you're going to shoot one. I we we got to see one first, but yeah, maybe that would be great. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna. That's another. That's on my agenda today too. I'm gonna email Scott and uh, Travis once again and say we got to get Brandon to shoot a pheasant. Yeah. So we'll get on that. Yeah, that'd be fantastic. Well, the guest uh, I've got today is a dear friend, Jason Michelli. He's a Methodist pastor in Virginia. He's the author of a few books, um, one of which I edited called Cancer is Funny. He does have terminal cancer, as he talks about in the in the interview, he's had it for years. Uh, he's already much, vastly outlived the expectations for his form of cancer. It's really, really an excellent book. His memoir about having cancer, um, and he's a funny guy with just a super, super dry sense of humor, which is why we titled the book "Cancer is Funny," a title that his wife hated. <laughs> but, it's a great. Uh, title. It's a great. Title. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's a double entendre title, which you'll, if you 
grab the book, you'll see. Um, but he blogs. Uh, his blog is called Tamed Cynic. He's a host of a podcast called Crackers and Grape Juice, which we talk about. Um, and like I said, he's a he's a pastor. He's really a, a, a very gifted uh, pastoral theologian, very thoughtful guy. Um, and he uh, joined me on a Boundary Waters trip in September. Uh, so I wanted to talk to him. I already uh, the last guest we had was Todd Littleton, another pastor who was on that same trip. Jason and I talk about a lot of stuff, talk a lot about death before finally getting around to the Boundary Waters trip. Um, but uh, it was just absolutely great having him on that trip, and and I've been wanting to get him on the podcast. So this was a great excuse to have him on. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy the conversation, and. Uh, I got some other great guests lined up for this fall, so we're gonna have we're gonna start rolling them out here every other week as as we should, and uh, we hope you enjoy the conversations that we continue to have here. And as always, we would love it if you like, subscribe, rate, review, and share the Reverend Hunter podcast with your friends. And also, thanks to a sponsor, Grain Belt and their Camo Sports Pack, available wherever you. Buy your beers. When you're on a hunting trip with your hunting buddies, grab some grain belt. Wait till after you're done. Unload the guns. You, the hunt is over. And then crack open a cold one. Hand one to your friend. Crack one open for yourself. And uh, tell some tall tales about the deer, grouse, pheasant, turkeys that you could have had if you just would have aimed better. Grain belt, thanks for your support. Here is my conversation with Jason Michelle. Welcome to the Reverend Hunter podcast, my friend. Aw. What listeners don't know is uh, we recorded about two minutes of bad audio where I noted that Tony called me a friend. Is that surprising to you? <laughs> no, it's, you know, you, 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 I, much like myself, I think people, uh, assume you're all grumpy exterior um and that's and i know you have a soft underbelly my belly is unfortunately too soft uh, <laughs> and here's here's something that's funny i've been reflecting on a uniqueness of our trip to the boundary waters okay we had six guys in the boundary waters for five days and there wasn't a single bug bite. It's true. That's crazy. <laughs> it, it, I, it is. Uh, anyone who knows anything about the Boundary Waters before I went, they 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 warned me with this enormous cloud of foreboding about uh, all the mosquito bites I was going to get. You completely froze there for about 20 seconds, so I missed everything you said after Boundary Waters. Um <laughs> Yeah, but you did you say something like uh, people hear the Boundary Waters and the first thing they think is bugs? That's exactly what I said. Yeah, yeah. People, so many people warned me. Meanwhile, if I took my shirt off and I could show you about forty bug bites all over my back from the bed bugs at my Airbnb in Rome last week. It's <laughs> horrible. So, on the upside, we got a full refund, so we got to stay in Rome for free. And okay. I guess if as somebody was going to say to me, would you, if I paid you 1400 bucks, would you take 
three dozen bug bites, I'd say, yeah, give me the bug bites. I'd I mean, say I I like hotels. You like hotels better than Airbnb? I think so, yeah. Yeah. Well, the problem is right now in Europe, there's a bed bug infestation going on. Like at some of the most, like in Paris, at some of the five star hotels in Paris, they've got bed bugs. And they're all freaking crazy. out because um, they're having the Summer Olympics. You know, bed bugs only get worse mm. in the summer. Like in the Paris metro, they've got a bed bug infestation. Yeah. So <laughs> it could be bad. Um, all the more reason to go camping. Yeah. Come camping. No bug bites. Don't go to Paris. <laughs> come to the Boundary Waters. Uh, well, I want to get to the Boundary Waters trip, but why don't you... Um, this is kind of weird because I want you to t- talk a little bit about what your podcast is all about. But uh, this is also going out to your podcast listeners. Maybe they don't know what your podcast is all about, and this will be helpful to them. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, you're, you're an interesting little hub to that answer. Um, so you're the one who suggested I start blogging way back when. Um, and so, uh, you got me going doing that. Um, and then a few years after that, um, I got cancer. Um, and you told me to write about that. Uh, and then you edited that book. Um, and then coming out of cancer, one of the commitments I wanted to make to myself was to be more intentional about uh, my friendships. Uh, and so I started a podcast to obligate uh, those people to talk to me on a regular basis. And so uh, the podcast has grown to include uh, more people, but all of the people uh, are our friends. And so that's the the common connection. And so we just talk about theology and politics and, you know, art and books and things like that. Um, but friendship is the common denominator. Yeah. And how's it going? Do you think you'll do it forever? I don't know if I'll do it forever. Um, I think it's, it'll, it'll, you know, whether I, it's, I'm not essential to it anymore. So that's, that's nice. Um, How's the cancer going? It's, <laughs> uh, I will never be rid of it, uh, but I feel good and uh, I keep it at bay. Do you feel like um, having having cancer that doesn't do – you don't say it goes into remission, your type of cancer? Correct. So it will come back at some point. I'm already – you know, the odds you are it should have come back by now. Yeah, you've outlived expectations and everything does that feel weird like there's something inside your body i mean i've i don't know i don't know what that feeling would be like like there's something foreign or trying to kill you inside your body does that like mess with your mind um not not on a regular basis uh so last week i think or two weeks ago i went to visit someone in the hospital who was dying from my parish. Um, and I was in the same, uh, unit that I spent quite a bit of time in, in the hospital. And that, and that was the first time I had to visit someone in that particular place. Um, and that gave me a a little panic attack. (laughs) Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. A little PTSD. Yeah, yeah. Um, and do you, as uh, I'm just like getting through my first bout of COVID that I've ever had. Uh, I thought maybe I was one of those immune people. Because <laughs> supposedly there's like some group of Northern Europeans, you know, or whatever, 10% of people of Norwegian ancestry or Northern German or something can't get it. I mean, I've read some article. It's probably totally BS, but I'm it's like, oh, amazing yeah, I'm to me that you went this far never... without getting it. Because I, I lasted longer um, than a lot. Most people I know. Do you have to be careful about stuff like that? Like more careful than the rest of us? Is your immune system compromised? Um, how carefully do you live your life? Uh, not, not very. Um, not very. I mean, I did during COVID as much as I could, but. At some point, you know, you know, so I guess the blessing of my situation is I take, you know, death for granted. Um, and so there's only so much you can do to be responsible, but, um, going to excess seems to betray a, a, a fear of death. that's just unhealthy and irrational. I'd like to talk more about that. If, if you're okay with that, because um, it's something I think about, but I, I'm quite sure that you've thought about it more than I have, that you have more sophisticated thoughts than I do about it. Um, when you say you take death for granted, um, I mean, I think most people would say that, you know, yeah, of course, yeah. But they don't really live like it, and... I do, um, in my book that's coming out next year, uh, I have a chapter on death and I have from early, from people who've read the early, like endorsers and whatever, who've read it, people have said that's the hardest chapter for them to read. Um, and I describe really, um, specifically my father's death and also like killing a deer. Killing a deer with not a clean shot. So I walk up and the deer's still alive, but it's going to die and it's going to die at my hands, you know, and suffering. It's suffering. And the similarity of the, there's this mammal, it's not just mammals, I guess, but I mean, I feel most, I feel obviously closer to a mammal like a deer than I do like a duck or whatever. But there's this, <clears throat> there's a fear of death that seems to be somehow bi biological. I mean, it's evolutionary, right? We want to stay alive at least long enough to procreate. And, but my dad was well past procreation stage, and he still was afraid to die. He wasn't ready for it. So I wonder if you can talk, tell me about that, how, how you don't take death for granted. Um, I think, well, part of it's just my job, that death is a big part of what I do, being with people as they die, um, helping them to accept um, their death, uh, and then helping their loved ones to, to, to bury them. Um, and uh, yeah, so, so it's part of my work and then it's just, um, you know, I don't dwell on my cancer from the day to day, but you know, it is more present in my head than most people my age, I think. Um, and you know, and, and so I, I think that's, you know, that's a blessing, I think. Um, 
that it's, and it enables me, for example, to like say yes to things like, uh, you know, going canoeing for a week, um, you know, like not put things off. Um, oh yeah. I mean, I was going to wonder about the other way of, of you, of you, like, or you or does Allie, your wife say like, Oh, if you go canoeing for a week and you're off the grid, what if your health takes, you know, goes South? No, no, we don't really talk like that. Yeah. Um, not really. Um, and it, but it, yeah, it, it's funny because I, I, I was thinking about that when we were in the boundary waters, on the boundary waters, um, that, you know, I hear, I hear a lot of, uh, spiritual, but not religious people talk about finding God in, in nature, you know? Yep. Yep. Um, and part of me gets that, but the other part of me is like, well, that's like a, a really you know, sanitized, romanticized understanding of like <laughs> the natural world, you know? Yeah. Um, cause it's, you know, um, it's filled with things like, you know, animals suffering and dying. Um, uh, so it's, you know, it looks pretty because you can't hear the animals screaming, you know? <laughs> um, so, um, and so, yeah, so it's, and, and maybe that's, you know, and that's part of it too is, is, we've created lives for ourselves, you know, people of a certain income and education level in America that we, uh, we're not connected to the natural world and that, you know, system of life and death. Um, and by and large, we die removed from, you know, our loved ones, you know, hospice can take care of it. Doctors will extend life, you know, for ridiculous lengths of time. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's kind of a hermetically sealed, uh, life that a lot of us live. Then how do you, as a pastor, prepare people to die and prepare family members to let people die? You talk about it a lot, I think. Um, I think, yeah, I mean. I was preaching on revelation 14 yesterday and I quoted from a Bonhoeffer sermon on the same text and you wouldn't think it just reading, reading this text, but Bonhoeffer framed it around, you know, this text is helping us learn how to die. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and he did that. He preached that at the Finkenwald seminary before it shut down. And so, you know, the people who heard it were all of his students who were on the precipice of kind of unfaithfulness. Um, out of, you know, fear of the empire. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So I think, yeah. So I think part of it's just finding ways to, to bring it up and help people think about, you know, you know, there will be an end that summarizes the story that is you. Hmm. You want to say more about that? That's interesting. I mean, what do you mean about that? Um, the story that summarizes you is that that's more than an obituary. I take it. Um, yeah, well, I just, um, it's funny. So I was really close, not really close, but, um, there was a wonderful man in my congregation who died, um, about six months ago. Um, and he wasn't young, but he wasn't old and he got cancer out of the blue and, uh, declined super fast. Um, and the last thing he said to me, uh, was I love you. Um, as I left him in the hospital room, he died 
later that night. But, but the last thing he said to his wife and to his kids and everyone else who visited him was, I love you. Um, and that was the perfect synopsis of the way he lived his life. And if he had died instead, you know, angry, resentful, uh, you know, desperate to hold on, fearful, um, that, that way, that ending would have in some way changed how we perceived the, the you know, the story of his life that came before it. You know, and so how do you, cause you're, yeah, you're a writer, right? I mean, you, you've written fiction too. So it's, you know, it's like, how do you think about the end of your life such that it uh, sums up the way you've tried to live? Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And I'm, I, I do wonder like about the chapter I wrote about my dad, if people are going to think I, I don't know, I'm, I'm being disrespectful to him. My mom told me it was terribly difficult chapter for her to read and i asked her well is it accurate and she said yeah it's accurate but it's just not easy to read Mm -hmm. Um, and then when it comes to the families we um my dad was like went to the hospital uh they had him on his cpap machine then that wasn't Mm -hmm. enough oxygen so then they put him on a hospital cpap machine and then they just kept cranking it up and up. And so finally, this he went in on Ash Wednesday. And on Friday morning, the, um, the, the doctor said, look, the next step is to intubate. We, you know, he, we have the, the industrial size CPAP with 100% oxygen. And still his O2 levels are declining. So this is like, this is the big question. This is the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, intubate or not and we talked my brothers and i talked and decided not to intubate and he died less than an hour later um and we had but here's the interest i mean here's one of the poignant moments is that individually two different doctors and a nurse in intensive care pulled us aside and said you did the right thing. Only one in 10 families does the right yeah. thing. Yeah. Most people would rather be like, let's intubate. He'll be alive for two more weeks. Even though he won't, he'll be completely non-responsive, but he'll be alive. His heart will be beating or whatever. So mm-hmm. what do you think that is? I mean, that, that's got to similarly be a fear of death, not one's own mortality, but letting go of someone you love or something like that. What, th- this couldn't have been... Um, I mean, it wasn't even an option for our ancestors. They watch people die yeah. all the time. So is, is this like an, an, an ailment of modern society that we think we're like, there's some little piece of immortality we can grasp onto or something? Um, first, I just want to say that like, um, yeah, I mean, so as a pastor, I see people make the wrong decisions all the time. And I try to, you know, but cause like when, you know, like in your situation, um, and I know your brother's a doctor, so it's different, but, um, very often people will say yes to the thing right in front of them without realizing that means you've just said yes to a whole bunch of other measures you can't see, uh, further down the road. Um, and so, yeah. And so, I mean, Stanley Harris talks about how, if you want to, uh, 
you know, know what Americans really believe. You have to look at what are our cathedrals now and their their modern university hospitals. Um, you know, giant creations of glass and steel. And, <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I think that's right. And I think that the giving over the practice of death entirely to the medical uh, community who have taken an oath to keep us alive. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I think there's a lack of, of wisdom there um, that at some point the science ends and the art of dying begins. Um, and it's, you know, so I've been reading a lot of Robert Jensen again, lately and he's got an essay in uh on thinking the human where he he's just um playing with how it's impossible for us to imagine our death um that anything we try to imagine is really just the continuation of some form of life um and yeah so i, I think it's uh i think it's something that we're very fearful of whether we can articulate the fear or not. Um, and I think that's, you know, a lot of the despair and nihilism we see in our culture too. I think that's underneath it all too. How's that? How's that? Uh, I think, um, who was it? I don't mean this in a political way. Um, you know, when, when someone asked Bill Barr about how history would remember him and, you know, I can't remember the exact quote, but you know, it was something like, well, I don't give a shit, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> um, and I, yeah. So I think, you know, that, th um, if all, this is all there is, um, despair and nihilism is the most sane response. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if I mean, for this life only, we I, I would just, I just, and you, you know, you're well read enough to know this, that nihilism doesn't necessarily lead to despair because there are examples mm -hmm. of nihilism that, that are different than that. You know, they're, they're, but I think most people. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, like <laughs> Matt Gates doesn't seem like someone plagued with despair, <laughs> right. but he does, right. but he does seem like a nihilist. <laughs> yes. That, yeah. I mean, there's like an ep there's like the Epicurean nihilist kind of strain, um, mm -hmm. Carpe Diem, you know, uh, strain. Yeah. Um, I said this too Talk on like a trip. classics major. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Just back from Rome too. So uh, there, I said this to you on the Boundary Waters trip. But one thing that's that I I've been interested in watching your re reading what you've written and just seeing your posts online and stuff like that is that while most people I know are becoming less Christian, you seem to be becoming more <laughs> Christian and it's surprising to me truly. I mean, I feel myself becoming less Christian. I look around all my friends are even my friends who are in ministry. They're maybe they're maintaining status quo, but they're like, white knuckling it um <laughs> you know you are becoming more christian and i'm wondering 
why that is. Maybe I'm wrong about that, but I'm just, I mean, this is just as an observer and a friend and a uh, yeah. you know, reader. I think so. But why is the, how much of that is, is the cancer part of that? I'm guessing it is. Obviously, your work in ministry must be part of that. I know it's, oh, because of the people you read and study, and blah, blah, blah. I, I like that, I get. But we can, anybody can read and study those say. You know, I could read a bunch of Howard Wasson Jensen. I don't think it would necessarily make me more Christian. I, I, I read theology now, and I'm so um, disenchanted with the fideism that is baked into most of the arguments that it makes me a little bit crazy. Uh, just that they, they have so many premises that they just assume we all agree with. And they assume are just <laughs> evident to everybody. Um, and I could name names. I mean, this is why some of, you know, you and I read some of the same people and some of them come off as super arrogant because they act mm -hmm. as though, well, when I say this to you, this, I mean, how could this not be completely evident to you or whatever? I, I'm a much more skeptical kind of theologian and thinker. So all that, that preface to the question of, if that is true, why is it? Why do you think you're kind of like a counter trend to what most of us Gen Xers are experiencing as we kind of, I w I'm not even going to say watch our world fall apart around us. There's a war in Israel, like as you and I are recording this, that was years in the making and um, is grievous and terrible and will is not going to end well. But it, mm -hmm. it's another just another like signal in what's completely fucked up about our world. Uh, it's not going to lead people to be more Christian. I don't think it's going to lead people to be more nihilistic, another war, you know? So how, how does your faith grow in times like this? Um, I think, uh, you know, so yeah, <laughs> I mentioned Robert Jensen, uh, He's got like an essay that he wrote before his death, uh, about 10 years before he died, um, like a little mini autobiography. And he has a one liner in there uh, at the beginning about how, you know, he went to seminary and he discovered that the Bible is interesting. Um, okay. uh, you know, Where do you and, go and to he, seminary? Because yeah, that's the seminary everybody <laughs> should go to if that's, if that's actually part of somebody's curriculum. Uh, he went to Luther Seminary, um, you know, but so the son and grandson of, of ministers, um, you know, and, and it wasn't until he's in seminary himself that he like discovers that the Bible's interesting. And so, so part of it, I think, is just um, it's not I'm not more Christian because of the people that I read, um, but the people that I read help me read the Bible for kind of the day in and week in week out work of being a pastor and preacher um, and being able to see um, being able to see, you know, the gospel work in people's lives, being able to see people uh, perform surprising acts of grace um, in in the community um, uh, with other people. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it, you know, and, and, um, 
you know, you and I went to a very good seminary, but I don't know that like I was trained very well um, in the historic Christian faith um, that you probably know more about the initial uh, theological debates of the early church by being a classics major. Mm, um, yeah. Right. That there's, like that there's something profoundly wrong by um, treating the Trinitarian debates and the Christological debates of the first few centuries as church history, uh, mm. you know, and so there, therefore Instead it's like something theology. that you have to learn. Yeah. And so I think yeah. there's a whole lot of people like in my That's line of work who have, they understand the doctrine of the Trinity um, not as well as my son who goes to Catholic high school, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think seminaries do a bad job of, of, of bequeathing future ministers with a robust enough faith that can sustain them over the long haul. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'd even say what's, what's interesting to me when you say that is like, um, when I've had church gigs uh, and they asked me to teach adult ed, always, you know, teach a Wednesday night class before the all church supper or after the all church supper or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, well, what can I teach that I know so well that I don't really have to prep? I'm going to teach like early church stuff. So I teach about, mm -hmm. yeah, I teach about like the conciliar period. Let's like, let's talk about what they debated at the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Chalcedon or whatever. People freaking love it. Lay people. They have, yeah, they no, do. Yeah. Oh, they love it. They, they're fine. It's so fascinating, you know, and they've never heard any of it before. They have no idea about the debates about closing the canon or the debates about the Trinity or the dual nature of Christ or something like that. You know, yeah, people love it. Yeah. Well, it, and it's, um, I mean, this isn't about hunting, but it's, uh, well, I mean, it's still, it's like, you know, there's a, there, it's, the analogy to learning a craft is, is appropriate, I think. And I think, um, you know, we, to the extent that Christians live in a quote unquote Christian culture, they don't really have to understand, you know, the Trinity or how, how, you know, what is, what is the relationship between the human and divine in, in Jesus. Um, but if you live in a post-Christian pagan culture, like, yeah, you have to like actually know these things again. Um, if, you, if you're going to be a Christian. Um, and I think a lot of lay people walk away from the faith, young people, especially um, because they don't even, they're not even aware that there's an entire like intellectual tradition uh, behind this and you don't have to believe it and you don't have to agree with it. Um, but there's a lot more depth, you know, in St. Augustine than there is, you know, in the Christianity you got in third grade Sunday school. Yeah. Not to mention, not to mention that the Jewish and Christian scriptures are like the basis for most of Western literature. Mm -hmm. you know, it, yeah. The, the, even in, even in Cormac McCarthy, I mean, your, your reading of McCarthy is richer if you've had read the Bible. Yeah. Like there's, that there's, the, yeah. yeah, there's themes in there that, um, should I watch? Well, you the mentioned lab? the yeah, the war. You know, the war in Israel right now. You know, it's like um, to not, you know, to not understand. Like, if you don't know the Bible, like you don't get that. Like, like you know, oh, anti-Semitism goes all the way back to the Book of Exodus. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is, um, we can argue about particular policies and, you know, conditions in the West Bank, but, you know, like on a very fundamental level, these people have been hated since they were called. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. It's interesting when I, I said something to Courtney today, like, how how could Hamas not know that they are going to be utterly destroyed by one of the most like heavily armed nation states in the world? Mm-hmm. And she's like, because hatred blinds you to ra- ra- like making rational decisions. Rational geo yeah. geopolitical decisions are not possible when you're blinded by hate, which sadly is mm-hmm. true. Um, have you been to Israel? Yeah, you have. You I were have. recently in Israel. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, how does that make you feel? I've never been, and and this is part of the reason I have no interest in going. Is um, not because I'm afraid of the violence, but because um, I don't think that that geographical location is ontologically superior to any other piece of land on this planet. I mean, I think that's one of the, mm. one of the messages of Jesus is this is not, mm. this place is not that important. This, this message is for everybody, regardless of place. You don't have to go to the temple every year and sacrifice anymore. And then, you know, the Romans tore down the temple within four, four decades of Jesus life. Um, why are we fighting over land? Who gives a shit? It's not, it's not any more sacred than my, you know, my cabin or the boundary waters is. I think the boundary waters is arguably more sacred. You know, uh, maybe I'll go fight for that. If somebody tries to mine, you know, <laughs> the mine in it, I guess. But uh, what's your thought having been there? What within the last year, wasn't it? Or recently? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, um, I th- so I do th- so I agree with your, what you're saying largely. Um, I do think Israel is unique as a unique place um, because it's, as soon as I got off the plane in the airport in Tel Aviv, um, it it it's everywhere you go, it, it just hits you what a completely secular culture we live in in the United States or in the West that it's just, um, you know, so it's, and it's, it's, you know, Islam, it's, it's Orthodox Judaism. It's, it's reform. Like it's just, so you're uh, not saying secular versus sacred. You're saying secular versus religious. Yeah. It's religious. It's highly religious over there. Yeah. It's humming with the, the outward, practices of of religion um in a way that is is just jarring uh to someone who's never been there before um you know because i I think you know we we still kind of think of america as like a religious culture even if 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 we're not and but but like no we're not at all (laughs) um so it is unique in that way um and 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 for me it was helpful um uh, like in a place like Capernaum, uh, the people who know, like, you know, the Jesus story will be familiar with, 
um, it was helpful for me to see just how tiny that place was. Um, and so, you know, it, it presses upon you that like, you know, this Jesus person was not like an anonymous guy, um, that, you know, when he calls people, he's calling people that, you know, he's lived up against. Um, and when people reject him, they're rejecting him. Um, not just some itinerant, you know, preacher. Um, so like to get the lay of the land and realize just how incredibly small, um, the gospel narrative, um, is spatially. Yeah. Um, that was a helpful, that was a helpful like teaching device. Um, and, 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 and like, you know, like in Jerusalem now there are, <laughs> you know, there's, there are multiple spots, like every major tradition has like their spot where like the resurrection happened. Oh. Um, you know, and I think like there's, there's just like a, a silliness to that. That is just absolutely appropriate. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I enjoyed kind of like seeing, uh, that silliness, but we spent, um, we spent a few nights in the West bank. Um, and, and just, you know, in the same way that you can feel the religiosity of Israel, you can feel the desperation, uh, um, among, uh, even just Palestinian Christians. Um, uh, but, but, but everybody in the West bank, it was, it was just, uh, and the, you know, right, like the hotel we stayed in, it's like time stopped and, you know, in like 1948 or, I mean, it's, it's very nice, but, um, so it's just a complicated. Yeah. It's, I mean, don't get me wrong. Complicated I, place. I, I firmly believe that Israel, like Israelites, Israelis sh- should have a homeland, a geographical homeland and have a right to that, especially having been, you know the subject of a, of a pogrom in the, you know, the most recent and most significant pogrom in human history. Um, but the, the irrationality with which everybody is invested in this is because of the, the quote unquote sacredness of that land to, Mm -hmm. to people who have very different, religious views so well let's shift from the (laughs) sublime to the ridiculous and talk about the boundary waters canoe trip um i mean it is like you know if you could go back to the 40s and be like hey uh man holocaust was terrible we've got a whole lot of we've got a whole lot of land in the dakotas like you guys can have all of it um maybe that would have been a better idea no, I, I mean, yeah, something, something would have been a better idea than let's just split the baby in two. Like, let's split Temple Mount in two, <laughs> so they both get half of it. I mean, that's a terrible solution. And I, yeah, I don't. You think about people like, um, you know, you. I was just in Europe, and you see Roma, which we used to refer to as gypsies. You know, they're people without a homeland. Mm-hmm. Um, Minnesota is full of Hmong. People, they are people like, mm-hmm. with no geographical homeland. They lost whatever homeland they had in Cambodia. You know, there are people groups without a geographical homeland. And I, uh, you know, arguably you could say that, I guess, about Native, a lot of Native American tribes. 
in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, in North America. It, it's a it's a terrible problem to which there doesn't seem to be a solution. So, but it points out. I mean, it's relevant to thinking about the boundary waters, right? That that place is important on a theological ontological level for, for people. Yeah, that's a, you know, yeah, it's a super important place to me. Uh, and I, I want less and less people to know it exists. <laughs> uh, it's just so it's becoming crowded, even though we, you know, we hardly saw many people, but, um, I'd love to hear your impressions of it, but I want to lead off by saying something that while we were driving, um, you talked to your wife on the phone, which I know you don't do very often. <laughs> and I, I was taken by something you said to her because it just seemed like a really honest reflection. You said something to the effect of like, you cannot comprehend how many lakes there are. Mm-hmm. Like I thought I knew what it would be like, oh, there are a lot of lakes. And then you get up there and you're like, holy shit. It's, it's, you can't get your mind around how many lakes there are. So that was just one thing that I was like, wow, that's really, of course, for me, you know, having been up there many times, that that's not, it's, it's just awesome. Like seeing that through your first timer's eyes, which I'll never ever get to have my first time in the boundary waters again and be kind of like, breathtaking with how many lakes there are. Um, I take it for granted probably. So, um, I wonder if yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I mean like, it's like, you know, uh, so I went in, you know, uh, I didn't look at the packing list until right before we left. Like I just didn't have time to really think yeah. about the trip at all. Yeah. Um, and I didn't have a mental picture at all of what it looked like. Um, you know, and, and if, you know, folks aren't aware of the boundary waters, you know, it's, it's like an ocean that's divided by pieces of land. Um, and it's just one after the other, after the other, after the other. And it's, uh, uh, pristine in a way that astonish. What? And, and yeah, please go ahead. Well, uh, um, cause I, I don't know if I said this to you or to Todd the night before. Uh, so we, you know, we stayed, uh, near your house, right. In Minneapolis. Um, and I commented to Todd, like he picked me up from the airport and we're driving past, you know, shopping center after shopping center. And, um, and it, it, it depresses me regularly that everywhere I go in America, there's the same shopping center. Yep. It all know, looks it's, the same. it's it's the Michaels with the PetSmart with the Best Buy with the Chipotle like uh, and so it's it's the the making of everything to be the same is uh, it's just it, it just is so sad yeah um, and I know that sounds ridiculous possibly but um, so to be somewhere that doesn't look like anything else uh, in the world is um, yeah. A gift. Hmm. Hmm. Um, what, what was your experience of paddling a canoe? <laughs> did you like it? Yeah, no, I did. I did. Um, and it, 
Um, so I was like, you know, summer camp counselor for four summers. So, you know, we did canoe trips, but canoeing on a river is a lot different than canoeing on a lake, like a big lake, um, uh, with, you know, no current to kind of keep going. Um, yeah. So I think it, um, you know, there's a difference between exercise and labor, Mm. um, you know, that, uh, you know, it's not like I'm in good shape, you know, I run and bike and stuff. Uh, that's not the same thing as like paddling a canoe right? or carrying a pack and a canoe over a, a portage, um, you know, that's just slippery rocks and mud and, and roots. Um, and so, you, yeah, so it, like it's, it's difficult in places <laughs> that you're not prepared for. Um, and and, you know, it just, um, it just makes, like, there's no way to do that day in and day out and not think about, um, how, uh, what, how much harder the people who came before us were and oh how much gosh. harder their lives were. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what you when you get home from that trip and climb on your Peloton, but when I like drive into the health club parking lot and walk in and they scan my card and I get my locker and I get my towel (laughs) and I go up to the fitness floor and put in my earbuds and do my little, you know, swing my little kettlebells (laughs) and then go sit in the steam room. I'm just like, why am I not paddling a canoe? Why am I not, Mm -hmm. you know, cutting log like sawing logs and trying to get a fire going why am i not carrying a 50 pound pack up a hill uh i i that's what i should be doing not in this climate controlled gym with everybody in spandex yeah i mean it's my brother-in-law yeah makes fun of like crossfit a lot he's like well that's just that's just work it's just my job, <laughs> like, <laughs> right. like lift, lifting heavy stuff. And, yeah, you know. right. exactly. um, um, yeah. So I, I mean, I think uh, yeah, it, it just um, it just made me uh, like more aware of um, you know I'm too disconnected from the out of doors. Um, I've got a job and a, a life that you know isn't very physically taxing. So, you know, you're less aware of your body, um, you know, even with cancer, you're less aware of your body. Um, uh, and just, yeah, I, I mean, different sound, you know, so I live, uh, a quarter of a mile from the DC beltway. So I, I can hear the beltway at all hours, uh, every day. Um, you know, I'm right outside of DC with two airports, you know, on either side of us equidistant. Uh, and so like, you can't really see the stars ever. Um, yeah. So it's, you know, um, yeah, so it's, it's just different and, <coughs> and it's different probably too, you know, that like, it's not just that we live, you know, so that there's like a war going on in Israel right now, but there's also this like partisan sorting going on in our own culture, um, with a whole lot of people being, 
you know, moving to places like where I live and away from places like, you know, where you canoe and hunt. Um, and, and with that sorting comes a disconnect from the land that makes it hard for people like me to understand, you know, people like you. And that's not, that's not healthy. Uh, yeah. It's a challenge. Makes, makes a guy want to be a nihilist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a fork in the road, right? Well, and there's just so many layers to it, too, right? Like, you know, we started we started talking about, like, you know, preaching is one of the things I have to do every week. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I read a story in the New York Times about um, child labor in Purdue slaughterhouses on the eastern shore of Virginia. Um, you know, and this 12-year-old boy gets his arm, you know, almost lost his arm um uh from guatemala working an overnight shift cleaning this lot you know and like the story like I, I can't not think about the story when i go to the grocery store now yeah you know like so there's just so many of these i don't know if like primal is the right word um but like there's so many kind of base things that make life possible that you know, that I'm just disconnected from, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do know it and I, I, I think it might be an intractable problem. Um, but I'm trying to solve it in my own life. I guess that's all I can, you know, I can do is try to eat all wild game. That's my goal. That's court. <laughs> that's what Courtney and I, that's our goal is to like not buy meat anymore. Now that the kids are out of the house, I think I think I can hunt enough to provide meat for two people for a year. That's the goal, and two dogs. That's the other thing we're, we're even think, trying to think about getting our dogs off processed food. And on mm. Mm. you know, if I shot an yeah, extra, I mean, I, if I, I shot another deer, I could you know, for for a twenty dollar deer tag, I could probably have enough meat for our dogs for a year. And I think that kind of thinking is, I mean, yeah, I respect people I know with that sort of intentionality. Well, I guess that's the next trip is to do a hunting trip. You and I have talked about that in the past. But uh, you, you said it was a lot more expensive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it depends. <laughs> it all depends. It all, it's probably more expensive. I mean, you could, there's, there's two ways to do it. One is to like get a group together and we rent a hunting lodge and that's expensive. Another way to do it is just like, you just come out and I hand you one of my guns and say, here we go. I mean, you got to buy licenses and stuff, but it's doable. It's much, it's, it's not that expensive on a smaller scale. So, uh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing you at beer camp. Are you going to go or are you going to bail out at the last minute? <laughs> well i i mean to be perfectly honest i i like seeing some progressive uh people on twitter um talking about the current events right now oh, with sentences like i i don't believe in targeting civilians or children but yeah yeah <laughs> like, right. oh my gosh <laughs> like you should never begin a sentence like that yeah like, or or the only reason evangelicals care about Israel is because they want <laughs> Jesus to come back. Like, 
read the room, asshole. This is not the time to like use a, a war and terrible terroristic acts to like score points on Twitter against evangelicals. Mm-hmm. Good lord, I know, dude. Yeah, I've been writing yeah, my talk. I will be there. I, I'm writing my talk. So, so give us a preview. I'll give you one preview of my talk. Okay. And that is, I'm going to make a point that's basically all you all talk about how toxic the church is, and that's why you're all ex-evangelicals and you don't go to church anymore. And I don't either. <laughs> I get it. You want to know what's an even more toxic environment? The internet, where you all do your, like practice your spirituality and do your preaching. That's a way more toxic environment. So don't tell me that the church is toxic while you're on the internet, like spouting your your propaganda. That's that's one little. I just, I just, I, I, um, it's uh, you'll understand this that a lot of times I'll hear Christians and preachers, especially, say things like, you know, you know. Jesus always did blank. And I'm and like, a lot of times I'm like, have you, have you read the thing? Like, no. like he, he's not standing up to like power a whole lot. Like this, I'm not sure that you have actually read the thing. Um, and, and in the same way, like when people talk about like the church being toxic, like, sure. I'm sure like some churches are toxic, but yeah. like, 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 have, have you been to one? Like most, like maybe they're dysfunctional. Maybe they're not very like effective. Um, or yeah. organized, but toxic. Um, but I mean, I've been a pastor for over twenty years. Like none of my churches were toxic. They had like some of the three hundred thousand churches in America, how many are actually toxic, and how many are just kind of impotent but full of really sweet people trying <laughs> to do their best? <laughs> yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I look forward to having a beer with you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for doing this, and I hope your uh, listeners get as much out of this as my listeners will. I wonder how much overlap we have. Probably not much. 